All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Hour Chapel this morning. It's good to see everybody here. Good to see everybody out in our live stream as well. Last week, uh, on our journey with Jesus, uh, we found ourselves in the wilderness. We found ourselves uh, watching Jesus, who was full of the Holy Spirit, being tempted by the devil. And Jesus had just been baptized, and when the Spirit fell upon him, the Spirit led him directly out into the wilderness, and for the purpose of being tempted by the devil. So we're going to read the temptations that the devil used again this week. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 4, if anybody wants to turn there, or I'll have the uh, verses up on the screen. Uh, the first temptation comes in verses 2 and 3 of Luke chapter 4. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. The next temptation comes a couple verses later in verses 5 through 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and all their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. The final temptation is written in verses 9 to 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Last week we looked at that first temptation, the devil telling Jesus that he ought to feed himself. He ought to take this stone, turn it into bread. And we saw Jesus' response to that temptation. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And of course, if we turn back to Matthew 4.4, uh, 4, we actually see a fuller statement from Jesus. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And we saw that Jesus is using this scripture, in this case, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, to repel the devil's temptation. I'm not going to do what you want me to do, Satan, because man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And Jesus repels that temptation. And this morning, we're going to look at the next temptation. Again, in Luke uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Now last week we talked about how Maybe kind of ludicrous these temptations might sound to us, especially since the devil is tempting the Son of God. Right? We, we, we look at Jesus, he's the Son of God. Why would Jesus ever fall for any of these tricks, any of these temptations? But what we have to remember, and what we always have to remind ourselves of, is that Jesus was a human being. He had every attribute of human beings. He was 
filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. But physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, Jesus was a human being. Jesus would never have been tempted if he couldn't have been tempted. Many of us are tempted. Anybody ever face temptation at all, ever? Just a couple of us, okay, that's good. I'm, I'm glad for the rest of you guys. But many of us are tempted with many different things. Last week we talked about physical things and, and bread and money and all of those things. But many of us are tempted with power and with riches even though we may not know it. And we may not be tempted with all the kingdoms of the world. I mean, who wants that pressure to have to be in charge of everything, right? Maybe one of you uh, might actually relish that. But we are tempted with power and with riches in our own little corner of the kingdom, aren't we? And sometimes, it's not a lot of, we're not tempted with a lot of riches. I'm, I'm not going to go after millions and millions of dollars. I'm not going to do things that God wouldn't approve of so that I can be super rich. Maybe just a little rich. Maybe just a tiny little bit richer than I am right now. Maybe just slightly more comfortable. But maybe it's more than God wants me to have. Maybe it's more than God would want to entrust me with. I've told the story uh, in church before about uh, this trip that I took to Philadelphia with Wendy one time. We went for a long weekend, and I was walking down the street. I saw a homeless man coming toward us, and I truly heard the voice of God in my head saying, give that man $10. I had never heard that before. Give that man $10. And I was tempted to keep my $10. I mean, I need my $10. What if there's an emergency and I need to have that $10 to call a cab or I need to, you know, do something else with that $10? And I was tempted to keep it. Even though God was telling me, don't keep it. Give it to this guy. I fell into temptation. I fell into sin. I fell into a place where I disobeyed the voice of God. And that was a really small temptation. I mean, what's $10? $10 caused me to sin. Riches caused me to sin because I was not able to resist the temptation of trying to count on myself and my money to take care of me in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when Jesus is tempted here, he's tempted with authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. I mean, that's a lot. But see, Jesus knew that in the last day, he would have authority over all of the kingdoms of the world. Revelation 11:15 says, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and, his, and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus knew that he was the son of God. He had this kind of communication with God, this communication through the Holy Spirit that he is the son of God. So he knew that eventually 
all the kingdoms of the world would fall under his authority. And what the devil is really saying to Jesus here is, yes, I know. I know. God's promised this to you one day. In the far, 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 far future. I'm offering it to you now. Why wait? You know you're going to get it anyway. Take it now. All you really need to do is acknowledge that it's all mine and that I'm giving it to you. That's the temptation. It's not that Jesus is being tempted with all of the riches of the world, with all of the authority over all the kingdoms. It's that he's being tempted to take it from God at a time when God doesn't want him to have it. That's the temptation. God has promised all of us that kingdom. God has promised that we will be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. In that kingdom, we will have authority. We will have heavenly riches like nothing that we can imagine. And when Jesus responds to this temptation in Luke chapter 4, verse 8, he says, and Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And we can replace that word serve with obey. Him only will you obey. Him only will you take anything from. I'm not going to take anything from you, Satan. Because ultimately, it's all God's. And ultimately, when God wants me to have it, I'll have it. When God, if God wants me to be a millionaire, God's going to put into place things to lead me to be a millionaire. And then he's going to tell me what to do with all of that money. If God wants me to have a house, he's going to help me to find the steps it takes to get a house. I don't need to cheat. I don't need to steal. I don't need to do any of those things. God's going to help me. God's going to provide for me in his own time. And that's how Jesus repels this second temptation. I don't need to trust in you. I trust in God. And the third temptation then from the devil comes in Luke chapter 4 verses 9 to 11. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written... He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands you will bear up, uh, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You notice anything different about the third temptation? Devil's using scripture. The devil is actually trying to use the weapon that Jesus has used against him to show him, look, it's in your book. This is the truth. How can you argue against this jump? The devil has adapted his temptation technique for Jesus. He's evolving this temptation. He's noticed that in the first two temptations, Jesus is using scripture and he shoots him down. So why not use scripture? 
It's going to be easier now for me to tempt Jesus. I told you guys last week that Satan is crafty. I told you that he is subtle. He gets to know us by how we react to his temptations. He doesn't know us. He's not omniscient. He's not like God. But when he tempts us, he gets to know us. He gets to know our spirit. He gets to know our thoughts, our mind. He gets to know how we will react to things. And he adapts. He adjusts. If there's something that he tempts us with and, and we are just, no, absolutely not. God doesn't want me to have that. Okay. I'll try something else. And I'll get more and more subtle. I'll attack from a different angle. He knows he's not getting anywhere with Jesus so far here, right? And he knows that he won't get far with us in certain areas. But it doesn't stop him. It emboldens him. I know what I'll do. Jesus wants to throw scripture in my face. I'll throw scripture right back into his face. And then Satan cherry picks a verse from the Bible. In this case, it is from the book of Psalms. 91 verses 11 and 12. This is, a direct, this is a direct quote from Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. This Psalm is all about God protecting us. It is about God giving protection to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High and abide in the shadow of God. It's telling us if we trust God, we have nothing to fear. And eventually it gets to the point where he says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answers the temptation like this. It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus uses scripture against Satan's use of scripture. The word here for test actually means to tempt or entice to do wrong by offering attractive benefits. Does that sound like temptation to you? When we're tempted for anything, isn't it attractive? Isn't it something we want? See, the temptation goes something like this here for Jesus. Isn't it? All right, listen, Jesus. You're human and you're the son of God, right? Okay, so as a human, you can be injured. So as a human, if you jump off of this building, you're going to break every bone in your body and you're going to die. But you're also the son of God. And if you're the son of God, you can jump off this building and God's going to send all of his angels down and they're going to go swoop you back up and you're not going to get hurt at all. So go ahead, jump. Prove to yourself, prove to me, prove to everyone else that you are the Son of God. Prove it. Now, as I read through Psalm 91 when I was preparing for this uh, message, I saw absolutely nothing that tells me or Jesus or anybody else to throw themselves off a building to prove that God will send his angels. 
I don't read it. I don't see it. It doesn't tell us in Psalm 91 to act with reckless abandon and assume anything. There's nothing that says that we can purposely do something harmful to ourselves and expect God's protection. Do you know why? Because if we're going to do something purposely harmful to ourselves, that's not what God created us for. God didn't create us to hurt ourselves or to hurt others, for that matter. Satan is tempting Jesus to tempt God. He is tempting Jesus with these attractive benefits. If you just jump and the angels come, you don't have to do any more work. Everybody will know that you're the son of God and they will come and they will worship you and they will be happy and you will have the kingdom and you will have everything. That's what Satan is telling Jesus. But really what the devil is tempting Jesus to do is to tempt God to try to prove God's trustworthiness. Jesus do you really, really, really trust God to do exactly what he says he's going to do? Do you really? Well, if you do, jump. And let's see if God will do exactly what he said he's going to do. Put another way, make God prove that he is who he says he is. Make God prove himself. This temptation for us in the 21st century comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. One example that I hear over and over and over again is people saying something to this effect, God, if you are all powerful, why are you letting me suffer? God, if you can do anything, why are you letting me suffer? Now I'm gonna tell you right now, there is nothing wrong with asking that question of God as long as we ask it in the right spirit. The trouble comes when we don't listen for the answer. God, why are you making me suffer? Or why are you allowing me to suffer? And then we just go on and just believe God's allowing me to suffer and he doesn't care. But if we listen for his voice, if we listen for his answer, we might actually find out what this suffering is going to produce. And this is true whether we're Christian or not. We can pray to God if we are not Christians. And we can ask him this question. Why are you allowing me to suffer? Even psychologists believe that people develop new understandings of themselves when they suffer. They develop understanding of the world they live in, how to relate to other people, maybe even a better understanding of life itself through suffering. So people who don't know God know that there are benefits to suffering. And when we pray, God, why are you allowing me to suffer? Maybe a follow-up to that is, God, what are you trying to teach me through my suffering? What is it that you want me to know about myself, 
about how to relate to other people, about life. What are you trying to teach me in this suffering? What if when we are tempted to call God untrustworthy or to question God about his provision, what if we say back to Satan the words of Romans 5, 3, and 4, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. The devil thought he was being really clever when he used scripture to tempt Jesus, but the devil twisted the meaning of that scripture. And we know that God tells us things like this. The next time you're suffering, ask God why. But ask him what you're supposed to learn through that suffering. Satan uses these scriptures, he twists these scriptures, and Quite honestly, sometimes we do too as Christians. We like to cherry pick little verses that, that match with whatever we want people to believe or what we want ourselves to believe, right? Jesus uses all of Scripture. Jesus used Scripture not only to expose the temptation, he used the Scripture to expound on who God is. Turn these stones into bread. I trust God to provide me for bread. Gain power by trusting me. I trust in God who promises me all power. And guess what? He promises you all power. The power of the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. How many of you need to do something maybe a little less than raising somebody from the dead? That is the power that we have in the Holy Spirit. I trust in God who promises me all power. All right? Show me how much you trust God. Jump off this building. I trust God because his trustworthiness is shown to me over and over and over again. It is shown to me every time I wake up in the morning and take a breath. It is shown to me every time I walk into my bathroom and take a shower. It is shown to me every time I go to the cupboard and I have food in the cupboard that I can eat. All of these things God provides to me. He has shown me he is trustworthy every single day. You're not going to win, Satan. How do we overcome temptation? We do it by trusting God who is trustworthy. And why do we succumb to temptation? Because we trust ourselves who are not trustworthy. When it comes to temptation and the possibility of falling into sin, we cannot be trusted. Just like that friend of, uh, that I talked about last week with the donuts. You guys remember the donuts and he drove past the donut shop and then he stopped because he didn't want to eat donuts anymore but then he accidentally drove past one time. We can't be trusted. I mean, seriously, think about what tempts you. Think about the things that really are strong. Just take a second. We are all of us tempted to sin, 
We are all of us tempted to disobey God in some way. Think about what that is for you, the strongest one that it is for you. Now I want you to think about this. How close do you let the thing that tempts you get to you? How close to that line do you walk before you fall over the edge? <coughs> People who view pornography usually have a computer or a smartphone with them all the time. How many of you can remember a time when you set down your phone for more than 30 minutes? It's in your purse, it's in your wallet, or I'm sorry, your back pocket, it's in your front pocket, it's in the car, it's somewhere where you can get to it real easy, isn't it? How many of you have ever gone on vacation and said, you know what, I'm gonna leave my phone here? We don't. We're always connected to the internet. I can get to a website in an instant. I can find worlds of information. And I can also find about 250 million porn sites in an instant. You ask me, Joe, why do you keep using pornography as an example for temptation? We can't relate to that. There's two reasons why I use pornography as an example. One, because according to various studies that have been done over the past five years, over 60% of church-going women or church-going men, I'm sorry, view pornography on a regular basis. 60% of church-going men. And you laugh when I said women, about 30% of church-going women view pornography on a regular basis. You want to narrow that age down? Those church-going men, narrow it down to ages 18 to 24. Over 75% actually actively search for pornography on the internet. 87% of Christian women admit that they have viewed pornography at least once in their lives. 50% of church pastors admit to using pornography. Why do I use pornography as an example? Second reason I use pornography for an example is because I am the example. Pornography is one of the main things that almost broke up my marriage 12 years ago. It's true. And the sad fact is that the temptation to view pornography will never go away for me. It will never go away for anybody who is tempted to view it, because it is always there. I will always struggle with that temptation, but that doesn't mean that I have to sin. And this is one of the, the common things that people don't remember or don't realize about temptation. Temptation is not sin. You are not sinning for being tempted to do anything. It's when you're tempted to do something that you know that God doesn't want you to do, that is against his command, that is against his will. That is when you sin, when you do, 
what you're tempted to do. This is something that a lot of people don't understand because a lot of people, myself included, for many, many years, I thought I was no good because I was tempted. I was tempted to go online and I thought I was no good. God, my mind goes there all the time. I must be horrible. I'm, no, I'm of no use to you. And we get from that step of believing we're no good to God because we're tempted. And we forget who's doing the tempting. The one person that wants us to walk away from God. And it's not just pornography. It is everything. Anything that wants to pull us away from God. Pull us away from our relationship. But I learned in my struggles and the struggles that I, that I will have for the rest of my life that I need weapons in order to fight temptation. I need weapons. And while my fight may be different from yours, my temptations are different from yours, the weapons remain the same. And we must fight temptation. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Stand means to fight. Sorry if I'm getting loud. But this is important. James tells us each person is tempted when he is, in, he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We're not tempted by things we don't want. We're tempted by the things that we do want. Whatever it is, money, power, personal gratification. But James also tells us this, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will run away. Church, we are in a life and death battle with Satan. Satan would have us turn away from God. Satan would have us find worldly pleasures at the expense of our relationship to God to being attractive. He wants us to turn our backs. He wants us to rely on ourselves. He wants us to rely on the things that the world offers. And if he can get us to do that, he wins. This is a war. Now our first reaction to temptation usually is either to try to escape or to give in. God tells us to resist. God tells us to fight. Don't run away from that temptation. Face it. Do something about it. I've given you some tools. Now, when you've faced temptation and you've fallen into sin, like I told you, there is this second temptation that comes right behind it. Now that you've sinned, you're no good to God, get out. How many of you have ever heard that in your minds when you have fallen into a sin? God can't use me anymore. I'm no good. I may as well go on sinning. 
because I'm going to go to hell anyway. That is a lie of the devil. It is another temptation. Come, let me comfort you. I know you've lost God, but you've still got me. I have heard this lie in my head so many times through my life, through so many different things. Your pastor is a sinner. Hate to tell you, some of you are going to not come to church anymore because of that, but that's okay. Your pastor is a sinner, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But I have heard this lie so many times. Now that you've sinned, you're no longer of any good to God. I've heard this lie when I was angry. I've heard this lie when I was selfish. And yes, I've heard that lie when I have fallen and viewed pornography. God doesn't want you anymore. You've sinned one too many times. You can't ask God to forgive you over and over and over again. You think he's just sitting up there waiting for you to ask forgiveness? Yes, he is. If you have fallen for a temptation and you have fallen into sin, God wants you back. God wants you to admit that what you have done was against him Ask forgiveness and ask for strength to resist that temptation the next time it comes because it will come. The devil wants to devour us. First Peter 5 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. God doesn't want you to be devoured. If you ever think that he does, tell yourself that that is a lie of Satan. Start using some tools. Let me tell you about a couple of the tools. One of the primary tools that God gives us for when we are tempted is prayer. When we are tempted, sometimes we have the strength and the sober-mindedness to immediately pray and say, God, please help me to resist this temptation. Take this temptation away from me. Help me fight this temptation. And he will. But guess what? Satan is, is relentless. He's going to come back. In Luke chapter 4, verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. An opportune time to do what? An opportune time to tempt Jesus again in some way. You're too strong now, Jesus. I'll come back later. You're too strong now, Joe. I'll come back later. But I will come back. We need to develop our weapons. Peter tells us first to be watchful, to be sober-minded. How can we be watchful? We can pay attention to when our greatest temptations happen. When you are tempted, if you have enough presence of mind, ask yourselves these questions. Where am I right now when I'm being tempted? 
What am I doing right now when I'm in this temptation? Who am I with? What's my mental state? I have learned that I am most susceptible to temptation when I am overly tired or overly stressed. Because when I am overly tired and overly stressed, I find myself not trusting God. I know I can't avoid those things. I can't avoid being overly tired or overly stressed. I'm a teacher and a pastor and a father and a husband. I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be tired. I can't avoid those things. But what I can do is realize I am overly tired. I am overly stressed. I got to go do something. Maybe pray, maybe read my Bible, maybe go for a run like I ever would. <laughs> go do something. Go talk to my wife. There have been times, and she doesn't even know this, when I have been tempted to use pornography, even as recently as in the last year or so, and instead, I just go and talk to her about her day. Because when I talk to her about her day, I remember who God gave me. And that helps me to fight that temptation. Sometimes we need to change some things. We need to change the places that we go. We need to change the people that we hang out with. Probably nobody in here ever gets tempted to get drunk. Probably. But I'm going to use it as an example. If you're tempted to get drunk whenever you're around a certain group of people, right? You go out, hey, let's have a few drinks, let's celebrate, let's do this, let's do that. Think about those people. You might need to decide not to be around those people in those situations. You might not need to cut them out of your lives completely, but don't go to the bar with them. Don't go over and watch the game when you know they're going to have a 24-pack of Bud. Keep yourself away from the places and the things that you know will most likely strongly tempt you to fall. One of the most important things, just under prayer, I think, one of the most important weapons that we have in our battle against temptation is other godly Sometimes when we're tempted, we need to pick up the phone and call the pastor. Or we need to call our deacon. Or we need to maybe even go and talk to a counselor. Somebody who is trained to deal with things like this. There are Christian counselors all over South Central Pennsylvania. I'll get you in touch with one of them if you want to see one. But sometimes that's what we need in order to process why, am I, why do I fall into sin? Why do I do this? should also find a Christian friend or a group of Christian friends. People who will decide to be accountable to you and that you can be accountable to them. Someone that you can call at 2 o'clock in the morning who will actually pick up the phone and you can say to them, man, I am really struggling with this temptation right now. I need help. And that person will stay on the phone with you. Or even better yet, I've had friends who tell me about their 
accountability partners, those people that they call up in the middle of the night, they just get right in the car and they go and drive over to their house. Pick them up, take them out to an all-night diner. We're going to talk for a little while. We're going to have some breakfast. We're going to have some coffee. And we're going to get you away from whatever it is that is tempting you right now. Strong, strong tool in our toolbox. Strong weapon against Satan is other people. How many of you are usually tempted when you're around big groups of people? How many of you are tempted when you're usually by yourself? I'm usually tempted when I'm by myself. I need to get with other people. Maybe you need to get with a small group of Christians. Maybe develop a little uh, growth group of Christians that you can get together with on a regular basis, that you can get to know, that you can get to do life with, and who will be there for you. So that if you fall, if you fail, you can actually talk to them. You can actually confess to them. This is a really wild idea, confessing to other people I know. I've confessed to my wife before. It's hard. But if we have people that we trust, that we can confess our sins to, they will get together with us and they will pray with us and they will help us to pray for God's forgiveness. And then they will help us to develop a strategy, a tool, a weapon, so that the next time that temptation comes up, we're behind you. We're with you. We're going to fight with you. We're going to stand against Satan together. And where do we find such righteous people? We find them in church. People ask me, why do I need to go to church? God knows what's in my heart. I can serve him anywhere. I don't need to be in a special building to come and worship God. I can do that from anywhere. And I say to them, you are absolutely right. You can serve God from anywhere. You can worship God from anywhere. You don't have to go to a special building to serve God because the building is not where God is. God is with his people. The church is a group of people with whom you gather, a group of people with whom you worship. But if you're serious about pursuing righteousness, you need those other people. Because it's really easy to fall into temptation when we're by ourselves. When you commit yourself to a local body of believers, you're committing yourself to Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You're committing yourself to becoming better disciples of Christ. You're committing yourself to more service for Christ, building of his kingdom. And most importantly, you're committing yourself to people with whom you can practice accountability, people with whom you can talk when you are having a really, really, really hard time with temptation. And who will be there for you? If you are serious about righteous, godly living, get to church. Be the church with the other people that gather in the building. Because temptation is everywhere. Temptation happens 
every second of every day on our journey with Jesus. And if Jesus could be tempted, if Satan thought that he could win by tempting Jesus, what in the world makes us think that he's not going to tempt us? We need to be connected. We need to be together. We need to take a stand against temptation. Will you join that army of righteousness? Will you join that army of godlessness with the people that are sitting around you today? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for giving us a place to gather, but we thank you that you are dwelling within each of us. We thank you that you bring us this group of people together every week. Father, sometimes it's hard to get to know one another in an hour and a half a week. Help us to Reach out, help us to know each other, help us to help each other. Not just with the mundane tasks of the day. Help us to build an army of friends, an army of godly people around us who will help us to stand up, to fight temptation, to fight Satan. People that will help us obey you to follow your will to follow your commandments Father as we go into this time of communion this morning as a church we ask your forgiveness for those sins that we have committed whether we know we've committed them or not Corporately, we ask your forgiveness. Father, we ask that you would make us strong, that you would help us develop our weapons against Satan, that you would help us be the church to East Berlin and to Pennsylvania and to the United States and to the ends of the earth. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to be remembering Christ's work on the cross. We're going to be taking communion. One of the things that we are asked to do in Scripture before we come to the Lord's table is to examine ourselves. By examining ourselves, we should be thinking over our lives since the last time we came to this table. If there are things that we need forgiveness for, we should be asking God for forgiveness. And we should be making plans to be asking forgiveness of those against whom we have sinned. So this time we're going to take a few moments prepare ourselves 
for communion. In a few minutes, I'll call the deacons up who are going to be serving us this morning. As you feel ready, uh, the way that we take communion here at Morning Hour Chapel, we'll come forward, receive the bread and the cup, return to our seats, and then we will all partake together. So as you're ready, please come forward and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread after he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples who were dining with him. He said, this bread represents my body, which is broken for you. Eat it in remembrance of me, body of Christ. After supper, Jesus took a cup of wine, and again he blessed it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, drink this. This is the new covenant in my blood. Each time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Blood of Christ. We are exhorted that each time we eat this bread and drink this cup that we remember Christ's death until he comes. Do join me with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all face temptations every single day. We all need each other. We need the help of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need the church. We need fellow godly Christians who will help us to develop our weapons against Satan. God bless you this week.